When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Dennis Dunaway of Alice Cooper. You're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Welcome back again to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. Um, happy as always to be part of the network, the Pantheon Podcast Network. Um, these podcasts, uh, their whole array of podcasts, they're all music podcasts, are available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcasts podcast platforms. Now this episode, we are going to celebrate the life of Neil Peart, um, passed on from glioblastoma, a form of brain cancer, uh, January 7th this year. It shocked a lot of people, shocked everybody because they kept this very, very secret. Um, but yes, I want this to be a celebration. Um, I can't but help but Neil, um, when, he, when he heard the diagnosis, thinking, this is perfect. This is exactly like one of my songs and having just just a wry, ironic laugh about the whole thing. I mean, I, I don't I don't know why I think that. I just it's part of his personality to see the humor uh in everything. Um and I just thought he thought this is this is like my songs. This is what I've been writing about uh, you know, all my life, loss. You think of vapor trails, we're gonna celebrate vapor trails later on as well. But yes, we are calling this episode Neil Peart, 12-Panel Man. Um, why are we calling it this? Um, back in my university days in Hamilton, um, I, was, uh, I was in the second year of MBA. A buddy of mine, Craig Elliott, lived right next door in the apartment complex. He was in engineering. We were into alternative comics. And we used to say, uh, you know, uh, about somebody who's lived a very, very full life, um, you know, you just, well, one thing we used to do is we used to call them Satan, saying, you know, only Satan could have lived this many lifetimes. Um, but the other thing, looking at uh, comics and even drawing a few comics we would do, um, you know, 12 panels meant 12, 12 different life experiences, like like a lot of living packed into this. Gee, he's a 12-panel man. Anybody we looked at and said, he, he's lived a really, really full life. I think the ultimate 12-panel man has got to be Alice Cooper. Um, somebody should write a book just on that at some point. I've written an Alice Cooper book. It was 140,000 words. It was a massive book because this guy probably lived 24 panels. Um, but no... That's an interesting thing about Alice is that he he's he's done so much you you got to think how how can this guy have squeezed in so much life? That's what I want to say about Neil Peart. You know, I I think to celebrate uh, how much living he did, how much of a Renaissance man he was, and how much, frankly, he pushed um, 
Getty and Alex to be the renaissance man they became. Um, you know, I think of it literally being that first spark, that dual spark, um, back in the very first rehearsal, uh, seeing how great a drummer he was, thinking they had to raise their game, and also quickly finding out that this guy reads books he and he could write the lyrics. And, you know, thinking, you know, these guys, Alex and Getty at this point are not particularly intellectually curious, but they became intellectually curious throughout their lives very quickly because of the example of Neil Peart, who of course went on to be Rush's lyricist, which is one of the great things about him. Forget about the drumming. I mean, the, the lyricist aspect is, is pretty amazing as well. So yes, History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, 12 Panel Man, Neil Peart. Um, you know, it was interesting seeing, I'm recording this the day after uh, the, the announcement. Um, it's interesting to watch the, the Facebook uh, outpouring. Uh, you know, I also went, went and I wanted to see how the press was treating it. You know, I'm, I, was, I was quite sort of offended that, um, that CNN and Fox News and the like, you know, were, were I mean, the news was there, but it wasn't, uh, you know, particularly prominent. They had other older stories of, I would, I would think, lesser figures and deaths that are still lingering around, you know, uh, hard to explain. But I, I, just, I just didn't think it was covered that fully. It could have been covered a little more fully. Here in Canada, of course, I'm in Toronto, it was covered much more fully. You know, Rush their Order of Canada recipients. Neil, Getty, Alex, Brian Adams, Celine Dion are probably our biggest, um, you know, rock music figures. Um, but, you know, we also lost another one to brain cancer. It was a huge deal up here. Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was a death lived out a completely different way from Neil's. I mean, Neil, he's a, he's a secretive guy. He was always a quiet guy. One of the narratives behind him, of course, was that it was always Alex and Getty who were doing the meet and greets, and Neil didn't, didn't like doing that kind of thing. Gord Downey went on a cross-Canada tour with brain cancer, and, and they did a prodigious amount of songs, different set lists every night across Canada and back. It was, it was, an, it was an amazing, um, you, know, you know, show of strength the way, uh, the way he, um, the way he treated the whole thing. And, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, our, our premier was at the show, uh, the, the last show, maybe even one more than one show. Anyways, he was, he was part of the thing. Um, there was a big movie and a documentary. Um, it was a pretty big deal, but yeah, this caught everybody by surprise. Um, I don't want to go too into it, but it's, it's crazy. I mean, I've done three rush books and I have actually finished months ago, three more rush books covering all the decades, big definitive, Lots of words, rush books. The first one is slated to be out in a month or two. Um, it's called Anthem Rush in the 70s. Then there's going to be Limelight Rush in the 80s. And then there's going to be, what did I call it? I can't even remember what I called it. Anyways, it was it was about the 90s until the end, obviously, which will need some rewriting at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, the timing, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we were, we were sending out advanced reading copies, they're called, uh, to, you know, to, to prominent people, rock stars, uh, and, and basically saying, hey, do you want to do some flap text on this? And, uh, you know, Mike Portnoy, uh, you know, respectfully declined. Mike is a great guy. I mean, he was part of my old Rush book, uh, album by album. He's always very responsive. You know, he's he's always considered the next. You know, the you know the next big drummer after Neil. You know, if if Neil was the great one, as they say in hockey parlance, Mike Portnoy was the next one. Um, but he um, 
you know, and now I know why. I mean, obviously, he, he was pretty close. He was pretty close with the with the family, and um, you know, there was there was a really nice response from him, a picture of him with his son, and stuff on on Facebook. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. So Rush has been uh, on my mind, uh, having having just done this massive amount of writing these three more Rush books, this trilogy thing. Um, but enough about that. Let's uh, let's continue with this celebration and let's um, talk about some music. And what, like I always do in here, these songs are picked to represent something. There's, uh, you know, I wanted to say something a little bit different about Neil. Um, you know, this might get a little contentious. Um, I've I've brought this up at Rush Cons before, and uh, and this first one's gonna illustrate the point somewhat. Although not exactly. Yeah, I'll explain after we play it. Take a listen to this. This is. The beginning of Temples of Syrinx. So why did I pick that one? I mean, I I thought long and hard, what am I going to pick for the first song? I was going to pick Anthem to, to show Neil exploding into this band on the Fly By Night album um, with his great drumming, uh, you know, mention uh, Ayn Rand. Uh, Ayn Rand, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, sh- proving that Neil was reading books early on and, and, and Ayn Rand is, is like this, uh, this grew of, uh, self-efficiency and selfishness, uh, somewhat, which got Neil into trouble when he would have to do interviews and he would get fed up having to talk about this all the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so Neil explodes into view on that album. There's Caress of Steel after that. But I wanted to pick Temples of Syrinx and the beginning of Temples of Syrinx for, for one key reason. You all heard it there. It's this it's this idea of this drummer with this, this drum set with these perfectly tuned lots of toms from small to large um, doing these great fills like this. And the grooviness of the second fill in here, and that great drum sound that 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 Neil got out of Terry Brown. Um, now this this um, illustrates a point I, I've always felt about Neil. I think Neil is the Beatles of drummers. Uh, you know how everybody talks about you know the Beatles were the genius. Uh, the geniuses of hooks. Those songs will live on forever because they're so hooky. You know, many bands get get compared to the Beatles later on, but there's only one Beatles. You know, Neil. The thing about Neil, which is which is incredible, that everybody loves. I saw Scott Ian's post saying, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go away and air drum a bunch of Neil Peart." It's it's the aspect that everybody, drummer or not, wants to air drum to Neil. Um, and and the reason is is because he creates drum hooks. You know, you think back to the likes of Keith Moon and and Ginger Baker and these big predecessors before Neil. I saw a great I saw a great post um, by one of my Facebook friends saying, you know, the Mount Rushmore of drumming is uh, is Ginger, Keith Moon, John Bonham, and Neil Peart. It's it's complete now. He he says. I thought that was a that was a kind of a neat thing. But you know, Neil Neil is the king out of all all four of those. Frankly, of this idea of creating hooks. So he is literally, he's the pop drummer in a way. He's 
he he creates he creates fills that are pop that are hooky and you remember them and you want to air drum them so and and you know you listen to something like this this is the kind of thing that inspires drummers to go get drums i was inspired by neil i went out and bought a nine piece pearl you know black you know open open on, on the bottoms of the toms small toms i believe i had even the roto toms at, at one point um maybe not maybe i just had the small toms but i was inspired by neil i was also frankly inspired by peter chris same sort of thing and and peter was uh sponsored by pearl at the time um but you know neil inspired drummers of my generation you know the the mid to late 70s uh you know more probably more than any other drummer john bonham as well yes um but but neil was the kind of guy who who basically came up with these things that just just uh completely mesmerized you these these great fills and also what i wanted to mention here is so here's the little bit of a negative thing um uh, about this and and it turns into a positive so there's the idea that um a little bit different than this use for example with me the song fly by night or the song closer to the heart these are up-tempo pop songs what does neil do he does busy little things he does little unison things with getty um for fills he he hits funny little symbols and stuff there's there's the toms now now you know rush gets criticized for this this quote-unquote overplaying thing along with getty's you know pretty obscure eccentric voice um but you know if if you're a classy person, if you're a classy musician, you're supposed to only feed the song and only do what the song requires. And if it's a pop song, it, it means check your ego at the door and pull yourself out of the situation and just just live for the song. Just do what the song requires. Well, Rush turned that on its head and you hear it more so in something that would be a poppy song. Um, it's more flagrant in, in this way rather than a big prog metal, heavy metal feast. And so... My point is that if you're the only one brave enough to do that like Neil did and you stick your head out there and you and you stick your head out there for criticism not many people are going to do this and you are going to stand out. So Neil stood out because he did this. Um you know basically it's considered a bad idea or bad taste. But if you're the only one doing it, you are brilliant because you are completely remembered, and there's a certain there's a certain uh, you know portion of the rock fan audience that is going to flock to that. And again, at the end of all those bars, even if it's a pop song, drummer or non-drummer, you raise your hands and you do those fills. Um, okay, moving on. I'm I'm trying to watch the time here. I don't want this to go too long or too over. It's funny when I do these. History and five songs, they always come within a certain time frame. Maybe it's because I I, I feel like I'm going to pass out at some point. But uh, let's move on. Um, so let's move on to the second track. This is, uh, this is Tom Sawyer. Take a listen. All right, so I had to pick this one. There's no way I could not pick what you just heard. Um, 
in a celebration of Neil Peart's remarkable life and remarkable drumming career uh, than the, the ultimate Rush fill of all time. This is the fill that everybody thinks about, um, you know, super Rush fan or not, as the most famous uh, Rush fill ever. I love this. Obviously, it's incredible. Um, the cool thing about this fill, another interesting thing about Neil... And I don't want this to sound negative too, but it might sound a little negative, but I'll just say it. So Niels, you know, if you were uh, an up and coming teenage drummer, uh, like I was, like a lot of guys, you could actually work out these parts and probably play most of them. You know, I, I could play this part, um, but it would be a little messy. And this is kind of an interesting thing about Neil too. I'll, I'll get to it. I hope I don't forget it, but you know, I want to finish this point. So so the the neat thing about Neil, he had he had the single bass drum, so um, you always you always were able to uh, discern what he was doing. It wasn't it wasn't uh, completely inscrutable like jazz drumming or or you know Steely Dan records or Mahavishnu Orchestra records, Billy Cobham, whatever. It it always felt like it was in within your wheelhouse to play these things, and indeed. I and all all kinds of buddies of mine were able to play these things. Um, so that was kind of really interesting. And again, that that kind of goes to the poppiness as well, the pop and the hookiness of this. They they sounded great when you played them, and they were just within the realm of what you can do. Now, get, to get back to the previous point, one, one fascinating thing about Neil and Tom Sawyer is he always said this. He said... It's, it's a hard song to play. He would come out and say, it's a hard song to play. And what he meant by that is it's a hard song to play with complete fluidity and to play it right uh, every night. I mean, it has other things that are hard about it in terms of even just the speed of the hi-hat, how fast you have to play that hi-hat. But again, it's how fast you have to play that hi-hat and to play it you know, very uniformly throughout whatever this is, four minutes, five minutes long. Um, so... Um, but these fills are just joyous. Uh, you know, you listen to that. It's just, it's incredible. He's using a, a beautiful array of symbol, of symbols, a beautiful array of toms, uh, you know, really cool uh, floor drum, bass drum combinations. There's a lot of cool snare drum in there. There's This is the quintessential Canadian song too. Um, it's recorded at Le Studio, um, you know, up there in the, in, the, in the snow, in the winter, in the spring, uh, you know, rural environment outside of Montreal. Um, it's just, uh, it's a key. Key Canadian thing from from you know a Canadian icon. It's Russia's most famous song off their biggest selling album, Moving Pictures. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, let's take a break now. We will power through this uh, when we get back. But yeah, let's let's take a break and uh, and hear from our sponsors. When we dropped the first few episodes of Rock and Roll Archaeology into the feed three and a half years ago, little did we know that this telling of rock and roll history would become a pantheon of rock and roll podcasts. Since many of you first joined us on our rock and roll exploration, the halls of the rock and roll pantheon have filled with shows like Deeper Digs in Rock, Rock and Roll Librarian, Muses, Art of Rock with Caution Friends, Real Rock with the Reverend Andy King, Miss Pamela's Pajama Party, Vinyl Snob, and more. We are proud of this one-of-a-kind approach to an audio magazine of high-quality shows. That is Pantheon, and thank you for your support. We couldn't have done it without you, our diggers who listen to all of our shows. And now, we are excited to let you know that every show available as part of Pantheon can be found in their own podcast feed 
to subscribe to in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the shows you've come to love. We look forward to adding more shows to fill the halls here in our Pantheon of Rock and Roll and find them all at PantheonPodcast.com. Keep up the rockin'. All right, so we are back on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is uh, this is the episode we're calling Neil Peart, 12 Panel Man, because this is a man who has definitely, um, you know, on the bright side of this horrible tragedy, um, this is a man who lived a very, very full life. Uh, so we can, uh, we can take some solace in that. So our third song. Um, let's take a listen and we shall discuss. This is After Image. All right, I wanted to pick this song for a number of reasons. Um, you know, this is this is Neil um, speaking, you know, as a lyricist, very eloquently and uh, empathetically and passionately about the passing of Robbie Whelan. He was an assistant engineer up there at the studio, moving pictures, signals. Um, great song, uh, great album, Grace Under Pressure. Um, they found it to be a very difficult album to record, Um but the other reason I love this, uh, I wanted to play this for you guys, is is to represent the idea of the inquisitive, uh, fearless musical pioneer. You know, after this, they went on to Power Windows and Hold Your Fire. Um, you know, records I don't particularly like, uh, Presto, Roll the Bones, That those four in a row, I'm, I'm still never going to be crazy about, I don't think. But what I do love is the spirit of exploration. Uh, you know, this is where... They're starting to adopt uh, reggae beats, um, and uh, and Neil, you know, God love him, you know, he's he's just a massive Stuart Copeland fan. I I I talked to Stuart about this once, and he says, yeah, and this was not that long ago, so I'm sure Stuart was uh, was in on the know as well on, on this on this horrible secret. But you know, Stuart says, oh God, every time every time we'd get together, you know, the, the Rush guys would be you know typical Canadian apologizing for for biting on the police and and you know being so inspired by the police and doing so many policey type things across uh, across some of uh, some of those albums. You know, I believe, you know, I, I would say starting with Signals and, and certainly on Grace Under Pressure, you think of Distant Early Warning as well. Um, but, you know, so yeah, Neil became this, uh, this um, you know, the main thing you would take from the police is, is the intricate hi-hat work. So he'd start doing that. But you hear on here as well, he's starting to mix the electronic drums with the acoustic drums. You know, one, one funny thing I always talk about and I, I thought would have been pretty interesting, uh, maybe somebody could still do it one day. Um, but... You know, I certainly would have rathered Rush um, go super heavy like uh, we had an early episode on the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, the the bands from the 70s who who took inspiration from the New Wave of British Heavy Metal and went even heavier. Imagine, imagine how cool it would have been had Rush, you know, after Moving Pictures, made a record twice as heavy as Moving Pictures. And, you know, you'd see them in leather jackets and stuff like this. And, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I just I just sometimes dream that uh, what if Rush would have gone that direction rather than this direction? But the cool thing about these guys is they are always 
always exploring, always looking, and Neil was was driving this process as much as anybody else. Getty with his keyboards, of course, but Neil was into triggering and sampling, and you know he he uh, got into African rhythms. So you hear across the likes of certainly Hold Your Fire album, you hear some uh, some sort of African rhythms applied to what he's doing, but very electronic and very rigid and very snappy snare drum with the with the Peter Collins production. Uh, you know that was one of the reasons Peter Collins was on board. I mean they just loved that this guy represented a a poppy British the fix sort of um tears for fears uh, aesthetic of of loading up on production now obviously like I say you know I'm not crazy about those albums but that's the problem with being first adopters um uh, is it first adopters or first? You know how it works in in computers. I mean, the the first people in have to have to go through a lot of the teething pains of of this stuff. I mean, Getty was in there very early on with synthesizer technology, but at this point, you know, some of these things sound dated because of um because of being first adopters. Wow, look at the time. We better move on. Um, I don't like to. I I don't want these things to get too long. So let's um. Let's move on and uh, and listen to our uh, our fourth track. Uh, this is Vapor Trail. Right. So, yeah. So uh, the, the the horrible thing about this record, I love uh, Vapor Trails as an album, but the horrible thing is Neil obviously had to, uh, you know, endure the tragedy of uh, of his daughter, Selena, at 19 years old, driving back from university, uh, uh, dying in a car accident on the 401, you know, a, uh, a road, a highway that, uh, you know, if you're from Toronto here, we've driven many, many times. I'm sure Rush, you know, obviously Rush up and down there many, many times. Horrible, horrible thing. And then Jackie, his common-law wife, dying shortly thereafter of cancer and the heartbreaking thing, as Neil would say, she died of a broken heart. Um, so this album is about those tragedies. And, you know, to have uh, to have now also... With Carrie and Olivia, you know, you you also have again a, a small family, and now they are without uh, without a dad and a husband. So the the yeah the horrible thing about this record is it is it is about loss. I love the drumming on this record. Um, I love the um the compactness and just the the joie de vivre of this album. But I wanted to play this because this is my favorite moment from. Uh, Vapor Trails, and I would say it's probably because of Alex more than anything, that big mournful guitar dive that comes in there. But you hear Neil, you know, dr- uh, driving this thing with a lot of passion. Um, but yeah, I wanted to pick this one as well to represent uh, lyrically. I just wanted to mention one other lyrical thing. Uh, I noticed a lot on Facebook uh, that a lot of people were quoting from Losing It. Um, from Signals, almost, you know, possibly my favorite Rush song of all time. I love Circumstances as well. But 
Losing it is particularly poignant, as people are mentioning. You know, it is a, a beautifully written song about, well, I'm going to read you the first, first, um, just the first stanza here. The dancer slows her frantic pace in pain and desperation, her aching limbs and downcast face, aglow with perspiration. Stiff as wire, her lungs on fire with just the briefest pause, the flooding through her memory, the echoes of old applause. So... You know, this song does not really apply to Neil's situation, as we've learned. I mean, basically, they retired about three and a half, four years ago or, or whatever. We've we've now heard that, you know, Neil knew about this brain cancer diagnosis about three and a half years ago. So Rush is retiring, and it, it corresponds with, uh, with Neil's um, diagnosis. Do with that what you will. But... You know the interesting thing about losing it uh, that that I really like is uh, and and why people are you know mentioning it here. Uh, so it is about it is about a dancer losing her skills, and it is about a writer losing his writerly skills. So Neil is a dancer on the drums, and he is also a writer. That's the other thing about Neil as the twelve panel man. He went out and wrote a ton of books. You know, essentially travelogues first and then reflections on music, essentially, and refle- reflections on touring. I always thought this was one of the hilarious things about Neil, too. Um, you know, here's a guy who doesn't like to do interviews, famous for not being the spokesman. I mean, he did a lot of interviews early on, but famous for not being the spokesman, famous for not getting out there meeting people. So what does he do? Typical Neil, he finds a novel solution and a working man solution to the whole thing. He says, I'm going to say everything I need to say over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, put it out there, multiple copies, people can buy it if they want. They've they've heard the ultimate Neil Peart interview just by getting all my books. So so essentially he one upped his bandmates who are out there doing all these interviews and doing lots of press over the years by just kind of leapfrogging them, um, almost the way he 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 could he could leapfrog the tour bus and and get on his motorcycle and and uh, and drive to the next uh, the next tour stop. Almost the same sort of metaphor or corollary. So here he is being the ultimate interviewee. And doing it his way by doing all these books. So losing it is kind of interesting in that it's about a dancer. Neil's a dancer on the drums. It's about a writer. Um, but I like how the end of it, some are born to move the world, to live their fantasies, but most of us just dream about the things we'd like to be. Sadder still to watch it die than never to have known it. For you, the blind who once could see, the bell tolls for thee. So the end is very poignant about Neil um, because... The 12 panel man, again, he lived this full life of travel, of bicycling, of motorcycling, of reading, of being a huge rock star, pretty much, put it this way, um, I've always had this discussion about Rush, but they were living the full-on rock star life just with not a lot of money starting pretty much in 1976 it ramps up a little bit they still really are not that rich um you know uh, around moving pictures but after that you know they basically are in hockey arenas for the rest of their lives they're they're huge they're a huge band and huge rock stars so they got to live that life he got to live two families um and again, uh, just just so much being a renaissance man and being into so many different things. Um, and again, what, what I love about it and the gift he gave probably to Alex and Getty the most is the example of being a renaissance man and a learned person. And uh, and 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 those guys came along and did 
pretty much exactly the same thing and have lived lives as full as Neil. Okay, um, moving on, our last track here. Uh, this is a little bit of Clockwork Angels, the title track from Clockwork Angels, Rush's last album. Take a listen. Right. All right, I wanted to pick this um, because I wanted to show Neil coming full circle with uh, with Nick R. Bouge, you know, driving Neil along, conducting with the drumsticks, giving giving Rush a big analog sound. This is Neil back in uh, back in you know the uh, the um, the expression and the spontaneity of of Keith Moon. Uh, you know, this record was recorded more spontaneous than usual, um, more analog than usual. It's got a great, huge, warm, rich drum sound. Um, and I just wanted to, to, to tie it up and show Neil back in those days, you know, the hush days, the J.R. Flood days, the, the you know, the woodshedding at home days, uh, the going to London and trying to be a big rock star and, and loving Cream and the Who and, you know, the prog stuff and just just him having that magic uh, that all drummers feel at the very beginning. And I feel I feel he got there at the very end again um, with this record. Uh, there's just a lot of joyous, groovy drumming. You know, Neil, Neil, you know, people, people talk about Neil and, you know, there is, there's, there is definitely that period when, when things were locked to a grid and they were not very groovy, but there's a lot of groovy stuff that Neil did. Um, and I, and I just, you know, thinking back to these tracks and playing them, I mean, very, very groovy stuff on, on the likes of 2112 and, uh, and even moving pictures. Um, but I, I love that I think this is one of the grooviest drumming uh, situations uh, that Neil was ever in, and, and it's really cool that it was the last album and it came full circle. So there you go. I uh, just wanted to close up with that, um, and I wanted to read um, you know Russia's official um, comment on this. Um, it is with broken hearts and the deepest sadness that we must share the terrible news that on Tuesday, our friend, soul brother, and bandmate of over 45 years, Neil has lost his incredibly brave three-and-a-half-year battle with brain cancer, glioblastoma. We ask that friends, fans, and media alike understand respect, uh, understandably respect the family's need for privacy and peace at this extremely painful and difficult time. Those wishing to express their condolences can choose a cancer research group or charity of their choice and make a donation in Neil's name. Neil Peart, September 12th, 1952 to January 7th, 2020. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. Archaeology. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.